Wake up! Cash is making money again. You can take that to the bank. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. How cheesy was that? So I, I never know what you're going to do these intros. And I don't know this song, but you know that song? I was like, wake me up before you go. go. That's what I thought. Yes, yeah, wham. That's where I thought you were going. It's George Michael. I thought that's where you were going. So, no. But that's not where you went. Oh, I guess looking at the title, I could have gone. Uh-huh, I totally could have whammed this thing up a little bit. <laughs> but it's, um, no, that's not what we're doing. And it, but it, no, it, here's the thing. Bo, I worry about people of your generation. Well, this is almost a public service announcement. See, and look, so I guess technically, technically I fall into that millennial camp. So is this about to be another one of those like millennial No, I'm not picking I, I actually, I really do feel sorry because everybody who's a millennial probably doesn't realize that cash is an asset that actually can generate income. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Cash no, can no, generate no. It's income. It's legit. It's, it's, it's true. I mean, you mean we, like 0.1%. See, that's what I mean. Here's, the, here's what happened. We have now been, when did the Great Recession happen? It was 2008, 2009, yeah. So this horrible thing happened in 2008 and 9, and the fact, well, it's, it's good and it's bad, is that our federal government decided we were going to make a concerted effort to just slash interest rates. Sure. So for the last decade, and I have a chart I'll hold up in a minute, the last decade, interest rates have just been in free fall, right. and then they've just sat at the bottom. I mean, they've sat at the ground, and you're just wondering, well, are we ever going to make money on cash? I mean, so I wonder, when I got so excited when I was like, wait a minute, cash is starting to get legit again. I mean, it's not, it's, we're not at historic marks yet. I mean, we're not back where we should be if you look at things by the decade. I'll give you some perspective on that in a minute. But in terms of looking at a, a decade where Everything's been under a half a percent. Right. Now making, because listen to this, cash in a lot of, now realize we are in August of 2018. It's very easy for you to go get 1.75 on your cash now. Which if you're someone who just has all of your money sitting in a brick and mortar savings account, your ears should have just like perked <laughs> up completely because 1.8 is exponentially better than that 0.25 you're likely getting at your brick and mortar. Well, what we've been told and it's, I mean, everybody's been, it's kind of become just a, a saying, cash is trash. Yeah, that's right. You hear that, and, and I feel so bad because I picked on the millennials, because mm-hmm. you have an entire generation. Hey, be careful with the microphones. This is, sorry. This is sorry. expensive equipment. We have an entire generation. By the way, I hit the microphone if you guys didn't realize it. But we have an entire generation doesn't realize that cash makes money. But then also for our savers who are getting close to retirement, these poor people have been pushed further and further out on the risk spectrum That's right. just so they can try to capture some yield, capture some return. That's not good to think that this is what's been going on for the last decade. So I wanted to give, let me show you my chart. I'm going to hold it up. Always, do you like it when I show I feel like Carrot Top, when I, do, I show up with props? I often, when I think of you, Carrot Top is what comes to my mind. So, but before the muscles. <laughs> Muscular stop, redhead? Before the muscles. <laughs> so now that I've put up my chart, here's what, because you guys out there in podcast land who can't see the charts, those of you out on YouTube, you're like, man, that's a good looking chart. Put on eight by eight and a half by 11 plain white copy paper. Come on, Brian, put it on bond at least. But, but what I did was this chart has... 
It's from bankrate.com. It's from 1984 to 2016, okay. and it shows CD rates. Now, I focused on the one-year CD rate because I felt like that was the closest thing to kind of talk about money market like rates cash, and savings yeah. accounts and cash, short-term cash, because anything sure. less than one year is considered really short-term sure. money. So here, I want to give you some perspective. Over the last decade, 2008, where were we at on January of 2008? Interest rates on one-year CDs was at 3.5%. It doesn't sound awful. Three and a half percent on cash sounds pretty pretty th- good. Then the Great Recession hit in two thousand eight and nine, and we went in two thousand nine. We in January we were at one point seven nine. So I was right after things started getting sure. bad at the end of two thousand eight, and then by January of twenty ten we were at point eight one, so well below one percent. Right. And then it just continued to fall. Twenty eleven we started in January at point four eight then 0.34, and then we just sat around 0.2, 0.28. We just floated around there. You get the point. Cash became horrible. Right. And, and what gets me is that if you even think about this from historical standpoints, if you go back to 1985, cash, one-year CD, was paying 9.36. I, I, again, and yeah, I guess it is my generation. That just seems amazing. Yeah, you're like, I'll go put my whole portfolio in cash. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, isn't it? That's what a lot of people are probably thinking. I mean, if we could get back to 1990, it was 7.95. Okay. 1995, it was 5.65. Nine, in 2000, it was 5%. 2005, it was 2%, 2.08%. And then in 2010, as I've already shared, it was at 081 and now it's exciting. Now, I told you, money markets, it's not hard at all for you to go get 1.75. One-year CDs, now we're at 24 to 2.5%. Wow. So we've actually gained a lot of ground, and now we're at the point where you should at least pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured we'd spend the rest of the show now, and I've hopefully got you excited that this is something you just don't need to think about cash being trash, and you don't need to ignore and just abandon this type of asset. We can now talk about what you need to do. Because here's the deal. Everyone, everyone needs some emergency reserves. Now, what that level of emergency reserves is for you can vary based on a number of different circumstances, but you need it. So if you have cash sitting around, you should be thinking about this. And this pertains to you, whether you are 21 years old or whether you are 91 years old. So let's hit these. I mean, I have five of them, but I turned this into a fancy little five checklist. Number one was pull your bank statements to see what you're being paid. I have a typo here. It says pain. But being what you're paid <laughs> no, right, right on your now, current I savings. Think right now, pain is right. If yeah, because if it's less savings. than 1%, you're not doing it right. So move to step two. Number two, FDIC money markets, and I've already shared this, are currently well over 1.5%. Um, it's very easy for industry-leading money markets to be at 1.75. Remember, these are all FDIC, meaning that they are protected and insured by our federal government. And I want you to know, because we're putting this out in August of 2018, we know that our content lives on for years. Right. So if you're listening to this in 2023 and interest rates are now 6%, You'll understand that we were excited in 2018 about 1.75 percent. So you, keep that out there. You mentioned that FDIC insured money markets are over one half percent with some of the industry leaders. How do I know if if I if the money market I'm using is FDIC insured? Is there a way I can go check that? Well, I mean, I, I recommend people go out to the FDIC website. I mean, it is a government entity. They have a search function right there on their website where you can go and check out banks, Perfect. verify, and then I always. This is one of those things is that I actually go verify the address and other things, and I'll even call the 1-800 number that's listed on the FDIC website, 
and then call that, that bank number and say, hey, is it true you're offering an online division that pays this rate? They'll, they'll tell yeah. you. They want your business. So that leads to number three. Don't just think about FDIC money markets. Mm-hmm. A lot of you guys have investment accounts or brokerage accounts, at, you know, say Fidelity Investments. Right. And a lot of you guys don't realize they have sweep accounts. Every one of your brokerage accounts has some type of, they know that you're going to have cash coming in through dividends or just you made automatic contributions. Right. So they, they're required to kind of make sure that money's working for you. The problem is sometimes those default sweep accounts are not the best choice for you. For example, Fidelity... They have F cash. Okay. I looked this up as of today. That's right. I I, I say that the way that way on purpose because F cash, I mean it really is F cash because it's 0.25% for accounts that are less than a hundred thousand dollars. So what you're saying is if you have a brokerage account at Fidelity, there's a chance, a probably high likely chance that your default cash holding inside of your account is this cash holding paying 0.25%. If it's a taxable account. A lot okay. of times if it's retirement, they're smart enough to know the government looks at retirement accounts sure. so the closer are. So that falls to the next one I'm going to tell you about, which is also on the account application, you could choose the Fidelity Government Cash Reserves as your default sweep account. And guess what it's paying? The seven-day yield on the Fidelity ca- Government Cash Reserves is 1.61%. That's fantastic. Big difference between 1.61% and 0.25. We just picked you up close to 1.4% after doing absolutely nothing except checking a box or just making sure that your sweep is a different one. Now, that's not an endorsement of either one of these products. I I don't want people that we don't get into products. We don't do that. I just want to give you guys a case in point of with brokerage accounts, you need to wake up. I get it. Two years ago, probably not much of a difference between the Fidelity Cash Reserves and the Fidelity F Cash. Just not a big difference. Now... Big difference. As a brief aside, if you are someone who's sitting on substantial cash, when I say substantial, I mean like greater than six figures of cash, whether that be for a 36-month emergency reserve, or maybe you sold a piece of property and you're waiting to do it, or you're building a house fund, or Or you have a big tax payment next April. There are some institutional money market funds that uh, you can actually earn like 1.9% on liquid cash. Now, there are some caveats there. Make sure you know what you're buying. Uh, if you're one of those people and you have some questions, by all means, reach out to us. We're happy to, happy to help. Uh, but just know that there are options for your cash that can do better than default 0.25%. Yep. So I want to move on to number four. I want you to reevaluate what you're keeping in cash reserves. Um, what I mean by this is we see this with prospects. We see this with clients. You guys that are part of the Money Guy family, I think we're kindred spirits. We, we, we're good with money. Yep. And so when you're good with money and you know that cash has been just trash mm-hmm. and it hasn't been making anything, usually there's a lot of pushback on anything that you want to keep liquid because what does a client or what does a prospect tell us? Like, I don't want to go to cash. It's, it's not paying anything. It's not, yeah, it's just you're not dragging my portfolio. And we're worried about, typically we want liquidity for cash reserves, savings, protection, mm-hmm. just in case you needed it. But it's not uncommon that people, because cash was paying so little, it is pushing them naturally further out on that risk spectrum. So I'm just telling you, now that we've realized that cash is paying a little bit more, reevaluate how you look at cash. Reevaluate your relationship because it might be time to come back and start realizing that, Maybe I should give cash a second chance as long as I'm structuring it the right thing. Um, and then I wanted to, to talk about, well, how do you prioritize putting this money and making it work? I mean, because we talk about cash reserves a lot. What does that mean when you say cash reserves, Brian? I wanted to, to tell you that if you're brand new and starting out, you got to get to 1000 bucks ASAP. You know, 
first-time job, recent college grad, maybe you just went through a negative life event like a divorce or something like that, get to 1000 bucks. Do that first. And with a goal of trying to get to five. I mean, once you get to one to $5,000, then we can move on to, to more stable ground. The person that is on more stable ground, that's when we start talking about having three to six months of cash reserves. Now, whenever – because that's – that's not a. That's not just a money guy recommendation. Right. Everybody says three to six months. So I would always get annoyed when I see that, and I see um, people talk about it. They never give. They just say three to six months. They give no guidance on right. what does that I mean. I don't know if I'm three or I don't know if I'm six. Yeah, where do you know where you're on that spectrum? Look at your job. How hard would it be to replace your income yep. if you work in a job where you're confident? that you leave tomorrow, you probably got three other jobs that could line up next month, you're probably okay with three months. But if you're highly technical, highly compensated, but very technical, and you know it's going to take you six months, maybe even nine months to get a job, I want you to update your cash reserves to reflect that. You need to know how long could I be without having this income coming in? You probably need liquidity to be the bridge to cover that. So have the cash reserves. And then if, if you uh, have a spouse or a significant other, uh, it may make sense to think about, uh, are you a two-income household or a one-income household? And if there are two incomes, are they equally distributed or is one the primary? Because that will affect the uh, shocks to your cash flow system. Those kinds of uh, circumstances will dictate whether you're three months or six months. So you, maybe you could keep a lower cash reserve if you're two spouses that earn about the same amount of money. Sure. Then you could kind of justify three months. If one spouse is the primary and something happened, then maybe six months makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. All these things are very customized. And that leads to the last group of people because we've got the young starting out. We've got the people on more stable ground. Of course, we've got our retired people out there. And the retired people are like, three to six months? Uh-uh, I can't do that. And they're right. You know, three to six months for a retired person, it's a very personal decision. So please, this is where you need to be measuring twice, cutting right. once. So don't just take our advice. Make sure you hire somebody or talk to somebody or really have counsel because you don't want to make a mistake on this. But it is not uncommon. If you're retired, you might need to have 18 to 36 months worth of liquidity so that if we had a downturn or something that was going to impact the value of your investments that you're living off of, that you'd be able to, you know, weather kind of the storm. Weather the storm and make it through it. So all these people have different needs, but I strongly encourage if you have something a big, big organ, meaning your assets are big enough that they're like a small corporation, you might want a professional to That's give right. you a second opinion on it. And then that leads to the last point I had. Number five was mac- maximizing interest rates without falling prey to bait and switch. And I look at you with a smile, Bo. I just, it sunk, right? Like you, as soon as you said that, I sunk in my seat. Well, because there is a major player. I haven't heard about this switch tactic recently, but this went on for years and it drove me crazy. Um, I mean, do you want to share this story? I yeah, mean, because yeah. so, it, it impacted you. So, so. yeah, so one of the things that, that, that we used to, we always tell people, there are websites out there like bankrate.com. We can go see who the highest interest rate payer is. Don't give names, though, because no, no, I don't I want to get want. us in trouble. So, uh, so uh, Brian had recently, this is like uh, 10 years ago, I mean, this is a while ago, mm-hmm. had opened a high-yield savings account. And in true Bo fashion, I wanted to one-up <laughs> Brian. So I went, same site, and I found a financial institution that had a higher rate than what Brian was earning. And I was just planning on rubbing it in his face every day that my cash was making more than his cash. And so I did the thing. I checked the FDIC website. I called the bank. Matrix was legit. And sure enough, it was a legit account. It was FDIC insured. So I opened it up, and I had like 0.01% higher interest rate than Brian. That's right. You who, beat me. Who was the guy who said now the rest of the story? <laughs> who was that? Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. So now come in with a Paul Harvey. So here's what happened, and this is a very deceptive practice. This same bank 
was offering best-in-class interest rates on FDIC-insured money markets. And it's exactly what Bo said. They, they checked out. He invested in it. Well, here's the problem. That would only keep that product line open for probably six months, right. fill up enough money of what they were trying to raise, and then they would go set up a new bank branch, same FDIC bank, but they just have a different name, different domain name on the website, and it'd be a different product launch, right. and they would make it best in class, and then poor old Bo and everybody else that originally got best in class because they went to bank rate, somehow that product would kind of disappear. It, would, it was more the of an introductory rate. Yeah. It would, they would start dropping to where instead of it being industry leading, it would now be half of the industry. That's right. And this was a very deceptive practice that was going on for, for years. I mean, and I, I was telling everybody, be very careful with this. So do your research. Make sure that the FDIC money market, the online bank or whoever you're considering working with, that they truly are consistent, yep. that, they're, that they've been doing this for years. They're not just doing spinoff product right. lines. and Because you don't want these rates just being introductory rates. You want these to be industry, because this is changing. I mean, I, this was an ever-evolving thing. That's what I think is interesting is that I have two different money market providers, and they're both good, both world-class. The first one you talked about is mm -hmm. still really good. Yep. And then I have, um, I have another one that's tied to a credit card company. And they both are back and forth on when they raise their interest right. rates, but they, they're both doing a really good job. So be careful of introductory rates. Um, use resources like bankrate.com to shop around and make sure you can see that they're consistent industry leaders. And then here's the last thing, because I love a deal. I love getting a deal. There's constantly usually offers. Like I can tell you one I just got in the mail recently. It was Capital One sent me a, a, an offer, a paper snail mail offer, but I saw it's all over the internet too. It's called the Offer 200, where you can receive a $200 bonus on $10,000 new account. You read those flyers? Well, they come, they're big postcards. Huh. I mean, it's hard not when you put them in the recycling bin, you're like, whoa, $200 <laughs> if I'd open up an account with these people. So it's it's one of those things where you can there's ways to maximize your rate of return and but the big takeaway after you look at these five tips and tricks that we just shared with you is that cash is coming alive again. It's something it's an asset class that you need to be paying attention to. Sure. And um and you probably want to that's great. I'll go back. I've got some some actionable things to do here. That's our gift to you. You probably know some man, these guys are just loving on me, giving me this free advice. What's the catch? Why are they doing this? And this really is our platform. We feel like this is our education platform. Love on you. Give you the gift of this free advice. And all we ask, your only obligation to us, is that if you get to the point that you're successful enough that you want to get a second opinion or you want to have somebody transition you from do-it-yourselfer to professional investor where we're kind of helping you manage these assets, give us a look. Go check us out. Moneyguy.com. Go to the Contact Us page. We love working with clients all across the country. Um, I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen. We're The Money Guy Show, and we go beyond common sense. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Music.